You're listening to the Exeter Vineyard Church podcast. New episodes each week. To watch the full video version of this podcast, head over to our website, www.exe.vin forward slash podcasts. So, um, the time Jesus spent looking, walking on this earth gives us a really interesting window into what the kingdom of God is like because he lives this dual life. He's a member of this world with all of this world's limitations, but he's also the son of God, a citizen of heaven, and the miracles he does brings that kind of heavenly realm into the mundane. So we can kind of see him as human and but also what the world is like when God is king through what he does. Um, So... Today, I'm going to look at the feeding of the 4,000 and the feeding of the 5,000. Between them, these stories appear in every gospel, and Matthew and Mark include both. And this isn't a coincidence. Um, There wasn't some kind of confusion. Did it happen once or twice? Was it it three, four, or 5,000 people? Not really sure. Let's just write it down twice and see. The gospel writers took a lot of time and care in what they chose to include to really help their audiences to see who the person of Jesus is. So having two really similar stories really kind of highlights that importance level of this is something big that's happened here. Um, I'm going to read the ones from Mark today, um, but it's worth noting that they are pretty much identical to how Matthew also tells the same stories. Um, Minor aside, when you learn this story in Sunday school, you always learn of the small boy who gives up his lunch. Like it's his five loaves and his two fishes, and he sacrifices them to the disciples. Only John mentions the small boy. Matthew, Mark, Luke, no mention at all. Um, actually, in, those go- in all the other tellings, it sounds more like it's the disciples' food that they're giving up, not the small boy. There we go. So let's read them from Mark. Can we have... There we go. So... Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to mow food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Next slide. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Now, we skip forward about a chapter, and then if we can move on again. So about this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Um, Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. His disciples replied, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves, thanked God for them, and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. 
A few small fish were found too. So Jesus also blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. They ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. So, very repetitive, very, very similar stories. So, a bit of context. These um, things happen in the early part of Jesus' ministry. Um, He's growing in popularity, but he hasn't yet ruffled enough feathers to be dangerous to be around. Uh, The disciples have been following him for a while, but they haven't completely grasped who this incredible rabbi is yet. Um, Mark tells us really many stories of healings through the first half of his his gospel. And he regularly tells people to keep quiet. Don't, Don't tell anybody about this. But yet, somehow, the crowds just keep growing and growing. And Jesus keeps trying to get away. He keeps, I'm getting away from the crowds. I'm going somewhere else. But the crowds keep following and it, I think this explains why we have keep getting large crowds a long way from habitation, because Jesus goes to the wilderness to escape, and everybody else follows. Um, so when we get to the feeding of the 5,000, this is just after the death of John the Baptist, and the disciples have just returned from their first ministry tour by themselves. There's grief, they're all tired. I imagine they really wanted some time to themselves to compare notes, compare stories, tell Jesus what's been happening. And Mark says, then Jesus says, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. Very ironic, given what's about to happen next. They didn't have time to eat. So they get in a boat, they travel away, and when they arrive, they discover the crowd had followed them and had even grown in their absence. And this keeps happening. They get on a boat, the crowds follow. And there's a real kind of frenzy building. And it's, so it's really unsurprising that more than once they find themselves in a position of large crowds of people in the middle of nowhere with no one to eat. So all that said, I'd hazard a guess that Jesus didn't do this every time he was teaching a large crowd and it got late. Like these two occasions were noteworthy and they were both recorded because they stood out and they were different. Um, both times the disciples spot the need of the people They're overwhelmed by it. They ask Jesus for help. Jesus asks them what they have. He takes it, blesses it, and he gives it back to them so they can hand it out to the people. Both times, the disciples trust Jesus. So, as we read the Bible, we often find that there are repeated themes and ideas and stories that feel familiar and that have happened before. And it's often fun to make these connections and to spot the themes because it can really broaden our perspective on a given story. And another point in the biblical story where people follow God to the middle of nowhere and find themselves with nothing to eat are the accounts of Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness. Now, I'm sure the similarities wouldn't have been lost on first century Jews either. And the Exodus story is also a really interesting place to think about what does the kingdom of God look like? Because the Israelites are, for the most part, following God as their king. They're quite literally following him. He's physically traveling with them. And it shows us what it's like when he's close and we pay attention. And in both Moses' time and Jesus' time, food is critical. The Israelites, um, in Moses' time, build up quite a big complaint about their situation and the lack of food. And the disciples for Jesus are really starting to panic that they are going to be required to pay for the feast needed to feed so many people. In both situations, God provides. So... As I was reading through the stories 
of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 in all the different Gospels, there was a verse that was pretty much identical in every single telling. And it said, they all ate as much as they wanted. And again, in Exodus, we get this, I think. Um, Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. So start with some semantics. What does it mean to be fed, this idea of eating till you're full, until you're satisfied? It comes up elsewhere in the Gospels, and often not linked to food. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And this satisfied is the same sort of satisfied that is felt by the crowds who are fed from the loaves and the fish. Clearly not just a physical satisfaction, but one that meets a deeper need. Um, Between the stories of the four and the 5,000, Mark tells us of another encounter Jesus has with a Gentile lady who's seeking healing um, from an evil spirit for her daughter. Jesus responds that he should feed the Jews first before dealing with the Gentiles. And it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the docks. And this is the same sort of feeding, the same sort of satisfaction. And here he's talking in the context of healing, of satisfying that need for wholeness. And so it's worth considering that when Mark tells us that every one of the people in that crowd ate as much as they needed, that yes, he's talking about food, but that he's chosen his words really carefully and he's implying that they've received more than that. Um, Jesus doesn't just lead crowds of people to remote places to give them dinner. He spends large amounts of time and energy satisfying other needs too. He has compassion on them, he teaches them and he heals them and not just for an hour or two, but for days at a time. I've been pondering this verse, this theme of everyone getting fed and satisfied and wondering what can we learn about the kingdom of God from this idea. So food here isn't distributed according to rank. They don't start with those at the top of the pecking order or check that the recipient is properly in need before they get their share of the the bread and the fish. Food isn't distributed according to gender. Men, women, children all get their fill. Food isn't distributed according to race or profession or religiousness. Nobody was checking if they'd been to the temple recently before they got their bit. Because in God's kingdom, everyone is valued for who they are. We can see this in Jesus' actions throughout his ministry. He chooses to take time with those who have discounted themselves and written themselves off, those that society shuns as less than equal. He takes time with women and children and he gives them his attention. He heals lepers and he drives demons out of people that others just won't go near. He talks to the Gentiles, the Romans, the Samaritans. He sees the good in tax collectors. He really values everyone he meets. And these are all people who would have been hidden in plain sight from the Jews of the day. You wouldn't have had to go far from your door to walk past a beggar in need of healing. And I'm sure most Jews would have wished to see less of the Romans and the tax collectors. Um, but I imagine they probably blinkered them out a bit and didn't look twice. Flicking back to Moses, does this hold up? Does everyone have value there too? Well, yes. If you look at the laws that God gives Moses, they specifically put provision in place for the poor, the widows, the foreigners, those that society has shunned as less than equal, because in God's kingdom, these people have value. Now, we live in a country that 
aspires for equality. There are laws in place that try and make this as equal a place as possible, but it is an aspiration, not a reality. The share of wealth held by the richest in our country is going up, not down. There are pay gaps for gender, ethnicity, disability. And interestingly, research says that more equal societies are actually better for health, for education, for reducing crime, because the kingdom of God, unsurprisingly, has this right. An equal society is a better place. So a lot of this comes down to government policy, and I am going to steer firmly away from the political at this point. Um, the question is, who do we value? Who do we overlook without thinking about it? Who are we surrounded by every day? Because there are a variety of people around us all the time. And the challenge is, how do we bring equality into our neighbourhoods and our workplaces and our schools? Working as an engineer, I've often found myself as a minority in my studies and my professional life. Being the only female representative in a situation is pretty common. Um, but over the last few years, I've actually noticed that starting to change. I now work in a team that is 50-50 gender split for the first time in my life. And I work for a company that has a female CEO with a background in science and engineering. It's a long way from perfect. Between myself and that CEO is a management chain of white men. But, um, but th there's, there's promise and there's potential there. Um, and an effort is being made because... Um, where I work, actually, they're really good with things like flexible and part-time working policies. But they're also constantly looking at them and getting groups of people together to say, how is this working and how is this not working? So with gender equality starting to, in my circle at least, starting to look like maybe it's, it's balancing out a bit, it makes me look around and it thinks, what else is unequal? What can be better to do to support those of maybe different races or who aren't as neurotypical as the average person, or generally, who around me could do with that kind of support that 10 years ago, gender equality and software engineering really needed? Leaving those questions hanging for a moment. Um, another aspect to all this is not just that everyone gets their share, but that everyone gets what they need. Notice that in the distribution of the loaves and the fishes, they don't all get given the same amount. Each person gets what they need. For the Israelites in the wilderness, they don't gather the same amount. They all gather what they need. And the disciples, they don't police the distribution to make sure everyone's got, like, you've got your one handful of bread and your one handful of fish. Great. Um, part of the hard thing here is that what is needed isn't actually equality. It's equity. Oscar, can we have the next slide? Lovely. I love this visual. I think it just, it says so much more than I could about actually balancing things out. And it's actually a really great visual for the way that Jesus meets with pe people. Because he meets each person where they're at and he satisfies the needs of each to a depth they're hardly aware of even needing. They come to him seeking a box to stand on and he gives them two. They come to him looking for healing and he finds that their sins are forgiven as well. And this can be really challenging because it's very easy to see somebody else's two boxes and think that life's unfair because I don't have any. And yet, in the kingdom of God, he satisfies the needs of each person based on what they need, not what their neighbour has. And no one actually said that fairness is on the agenda, but justice is. God, as it were, has all the boxes. And how he chooses to distribute them is his choice, but we can trust that he is good and that he knows far more about what we do, about how best to work with what's going on. So the story we have 
has one more interesting insight into how the kingdom of God works in the world that we live in, in the here and now, and an insight into God and his box distribution process. Um, The crowds were hungry, and Jesus and the disciples were debating the best way of feeding them. And so they looked around and they worked out, what have we got? How much bread do we have? And what they have is a tiny proportion of what is needed to satisfy the needs of so many people. It's a laughable amount. But in the kingdom of God, we can make something with that. And Jesus blesses the food, and then he gives it back to the disciples to distribute. And I imagine there was probably some confusion from the disciples at this point. Like, cool, Jesus, so we had five loaves and two fishes. Lovely. Now we have five loaves and two fishes that you've blessed. Even better. How is that going to help 5,000 people? And it takes the faith of the disciples to turn around and start giving it to the people. And I love how Jesus involves the disciples in the process. He could have taken the food, blessed it, and then given it to the people himself. But, and this is the key, the kingdom of God meets our world through us. The disciples were the place where the kingdom met reality. It was through them that this happened. Jesus was working, the spirit was working, but the kingdom of God was present because the disciples were willing. And because of that, people were satisfied. And today, the same holds true. The kingdom of God meets our world through us and through the Holy Spirit working in us. So the question is, what do we have? Do we have boxes that we could ask God, like, actually, maybe I've got a spare box here. Who could do with this? Do we have fractions of a box that we could ask God to bless and turn into something more substantial? I come back to those earlier questions. Who do we value and where can we bring value to others? And it's a huge area. Like this thinking about inequality in our country is overwhelming. What can we do about all that? But the disciples were also overwhelmed, weren't they? Like... They turn around and they say, we would have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. But that's not the kingdom, that's this world. Because Jesus is with us and he is part of that process. And he's asking us now, what do you have? And what can we do to bless others with it and to bring value to other people? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about Exeter Vineyard Church, head over to our website, www.exe.vin Thank you.